99.9% of the time that if there's, if there's anything that's, that's has any kind of frustration, the thing that always clears it up um, for the most part is, is going, Hey, when you said this one thing, what did you mean? And giving somebody mm. a chance to elaborate on it only to find out that that wasn't even the issue. It, it was, it, the thing is never the thing. It's always something three <laughs> times removed. Uh, you know, and it's a, it doesn't matter if you're from, from Texas, Georgia, South Africa, uh, or, or, or Bavaria, it, it's the it, people, it's human nature. It's, it's always going to come down to a misunderstanding. So welcome to another episode of the Dad Syndicate podcast. My name is Thomas Kingwell and I'm the host and founder of the Dad Syndicate. And today I've got a very special guest. I would say we're friends here, Reese. But anyway, whatever we are, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here. That's the best conversation to have, man. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. A couple of friends just sitting back and telling me stories. Yeah, well, I can tell a few stories about my evening, but how, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Just uh, got home, had a had an afternoon session at the gym and just got my butt handed to me. So uh yeah, it, uh, it feels good. Hmm. How long did you work out for? Uh, hour. It's a CrossFit class, and they're they're typically an hour, and uh, I, you go ahead and go hard for a, about twenty minutes in a strength session, and and another thirty minutes in a in a conditioning that just really zaps you. Um, it uh, been doing CrossFit now for and my wife and I were talking about it coming up on three years now, and uh, wow, just. Uh, just the 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 comp- competitiveness the competition with myself and and the friends in the gym um there's a there's a crew of guys that we just get to compare scores on the leaderboard you know talk a little trash and and uh, and uh, and have good competition and good fun with it but seeing each other excel and high-fiving each other when we do a man it just makes good for good sport and good fun mm, funny enough i've never actually done a crossfit course in my life although i really do enjoy watching the um crossfit documentaries that i've seen on netflix every now and then it got me like pumped to work out but i've never made myself to a box i think it's called yep uh i I didn't i'd encourage it and uh and if you found one that wasn't a fit keep looking because uh they the if it wasn't a fit you just didn't find the right one because there's there there's i've come to find uh you know just in my time of being with it it's there's some some gyms are very competitive in nature and and seeing that some can be very community in nature and when you find that perfect blend of both i think it's a good a good mixture for for uh for everybody involved and then when but when there's good community everybody can find their place and their right fit uh i'd encourage it man you're 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 a competitive dude really Uh, and yeah yeah (laughs) and uh with yourself and I yeah, think that's yeah. a great environment to be in when, when, when you're encouraged to be in competition with yourself and you mm. can only grow from that for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think it's quite interesting because I think the community part is very important. And as, as you know, we'll be reading um, James Clear's book next month, but I've basically finished James Clear book about habits. And he talks quite a lot about that is, you know, making a habit with something that's a reward. And I think that often at times when we work up by ourselves, um, although I love to be alone as well. So that's kind of my reward, you know, to get away from my, Okay, this sounds terrible. I'm the dad cynic, and I'm talking about getting away from my family. But you know what I mean. Get a bit of clear space, brain space in the morning. You got to be taking care of yourself first. You know, 
if the if the king doesn't rise, the kingdom dies. Uh, it it uh, and that's not a selfish thing either. You you need to be there and be fit and be capable. So when so you are there and available for for everybody involved. But you you got to first take care of yourself. Um, yeah, as a as a good friend of ours, Joshua Laycock has said, selfishly unselfish. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely true for sure. Yeah, but I mean that's a reward in itself. So I'm I'm quite easy to get up in the morning and go ride a mountain bike, but. My workouts have actually comprised basically half an hour in the middle of the day at lunch. So I'm a school teacher, as you know, so I get into the gym half an hour. It ends up being like a 20-minute hit session where I just go for it. But I think that having that community like you're talking about um, kind of is that little cherry on the cake, which kind of motivates you as well. Or do you find that that is the case? Um, it, it, yeah, I was thinking about it today. And it's like sometimes I find the, the first thing in the morning, um, I used to be like that uh, when I started going down the road of just – uh, my own self-improvement, it was first thing in the morning uh, of going in the garage and sweating it out and uh, just really kind of having my ass handed to me uh, was pretty, you know, if nobody was, nobody was going to beat me if I can beat myself up first, nobody else had a chance. That was my philosophy for it. And it was serving me really well. Um, and uh, so, but then after a while, it's like that I started to find that that wasn't the ideal time for me, I've started to find that midday um, and then uh, or the afternoons, depending on the day, just depending on how I wanted to use it uh, to my advantage. Some days, it, you know, if I needed to, okay, I've got to win this before everything else. Yeah. First thing in the morning is a thing. If it's an outlet, if it's a if it's a release um, of stress or a uh, pressure and stress, then, uh, then of course, you know, the middays or the, or the afternoons. Uh, so using it, keeping it as a tool I found has been very, very fundamental, um, of, and using it to my advantage of like, no, I need to let, release some pressure. Uh, it's going to be an afternoon session. Hmm. Yeah. I love it. That's interesting. I mean, that makes me think about my workouts because I generally try to, you know, go in the morning so that it doesn't eat into the family time. However, when I do go at lunchtime, now I have a whole, you know, I start work at about quarter to eight by own choice. I get to work early, you know, have my little time there with my journaling, reading something. And then I try and work out on my lunch break. So three times a week, I have the chance to actually go into a little gym, which is not with anybody else. It's just a little room where you've got weights and these kind of things. And it's funny because it's the, the one I hate the most, but it's probably the one that makes me feel the best afterwards because, you know, you have mm -hmm. that slump. But when I go into the gym, it's quite funny because I go to the, um, we've got a guy at the reception at our school um, who greets everyone and I get the key from him. And when, I, when, when I'm going out, it's like he just sees my shoulders slump and I'm tired. But then when I come walking back in, my shoulders are back and I'm feeling like a million bucks and then I can feel like I can make it through the day. Um, and almost like I needed more when I'm feeling down. I don't know if you've ever had that before yourself. Absolutely. All the time. All the time. Um, yeah. And that's, and, and when you can tap into those, um, into when you can tap into those emotions and then actually use them as a tool, as a motivator and a support system for yourself. I've, uh, I've found that it's that's when you're kind of in complete. Uh, the word I've been using of late is complete dominion for your mm, life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It, you're like, OK, I, I'm needing to. Uh, needing some support, some support system, my own support system. I need to go and just beat myself up and realize who's boss, <laughs> or I need to go be in control and, uh, and those kind of things like that. I think it's a, it's a complete control of emotion. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. It's very interesting because, um, you and I were talking the other day with other bunch of guys about tranquility. And one guy said that when I'm basically pushing myself, I'm feeling tranquility. Um, would you agree with that? No, absolutely not. 
<laughs> Absolutely not. I don't know how you can have tranquility. I've, see, in, in, and I remember in that discussion too, because I've got my own, I've had my own uh, definitions for those two words. The, oh, the two yes, words of were course. Vert, it was virtue and tranquility. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes. and those two words were, uh, were confusing for me. And, and tranquility in, in, in particular, I had this image of peacefulness and uh and and solitude maybe um and so the the definition that was getting used for tranquility um was not what i understood it to be so it was really kind of an eye-opening um yeah uh, eye-opening thing for me at that time and even since then going okay what do i really think of those words uh what what are these and um the other one virtue i always actually equated virtue to uh, virginity or purity, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, because that's the way that they've always been used in, in context and conversations around me. So when that got dropped into the idea of stoicism, I was like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I don't picture those words the same way. Um, connectedness maybe uh, to, to a higher power, God, voice, spirit, whatever the case may be. That's what virtue, what the, the author was using that word virtue as. And I was like, why? understood virtue to be a purity and i kind of understand that um but uh but yeah the tranquility aspect of it so when you say so back to i digress i was getting off board when you say to, to i can see how maybe a guy gets put into that state of tranquility during a session but not for me man to me mm. it's complete rage uh and, and an outlet and just a cleansing okay. yeah. yeah um I could see where I could be in maybe a tranquil state after it's all done, but definitely not during. Okay. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I got thinking about that as well and then talked to a couple of other guys about this and kind of just digested that myself and thought about, you know, and then you posted that thing about tranquility and sort of love about when you talk to guys and you can just, you know, start to, um, you know, mulling over things that other people say and things. And I kind of just looked at that tranquility and, and thought, you know, my life is so busy sometimes and I'm always with kids generally, job-wise, home-wise, it's basically my life. And I do feel that riding up a mountain when I'm really pushing myself or when I'm in the gym and, and I'm suffering physically, I have to say that for me, I do find a certain type of tranquility. Now, the point you're making is that it's contextual and it can have something to do, or it does have something to do with where you come from, your possibly your belief system or those things. But for me... I do feel the rage and I do feel that, but I must admit that I do also experience that certain tranquility because my mind is on nothing else but that. And my mind just feels like it's going, you know, in 360 degrees all the time to different things. And when I'm working out, it's like this laser focus of I'm here now when I'm doing a downhill ride, because I don't know if you know, I ride downhill mountain bike and when I'm yeah, doing yeah. that, my mind is on nothing else. And even though it's hectic because I'm bouncing around and I'm turning corners and I'm dropping off things and flying over other things, there's this tranquility and then it's just this one single mindness of I'm doing this now. Nothing else in the world matters. No problem comes in here. Nothing else, nothing that I've been bothered about before that morning even comes into my brain, which is the same when I go surfing and I'm in bigger waves and stuff, which is kind of maybe a paradox a little bit. Yeah, that's where, well, so yeah, that's where I would take that state of being with an understanding where where those two words were coming from virtue and tranquility mm -hmm. that i would i would put that word actually in the virtue side being in a virtuous situation that you were truly connected with that that source or that power um mm. that nothing else can get into it but in my mind mm. i'm still thinking that that tranquility is in this just i'm almost I'm, 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 like if you were in an ocean 
Um, yeah. If you mm -hmm. didn't have to gasp for air, that you were in just this massive, massive space. That's kind of mm. my picture of it. So, um, I suppose yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, so I, I've been wrestling with those two words all week in myself mm. too. I, um, <laughs> it's been an interesting thing. So. Well, you said they were quite new for you. And then I said that obviously, you know, some words have like an archaic feel to them. And then we had, I don't know if you saw, but I commented that, you know, you've got these old Greek words even, and I've kind of latched onto them because I kind of like that feeling. I don't know what it is. There's always a little bit of old soul inside of this modern man that kind of links to something that's ancient. And when I think of like a Morfati or, you know, Semperilis or these things, I don't know. I love those old words. And kind of when I've learned them, I've kind of latched onto them. They become my little mottos do you find that at all that you can link to an old word or does it have to kind of fall into the context or the framework of your vocabulary and the words that you usually use um i like having to look up the word and what i mean by so you find those latin derivatives yeah for sure um because you don't have a space to go in you have to go in and do some googling and wikipedia search and some translation of things um, yeah. I like looking down those words, but when you have words that are just their historic use, mm -hmm. mainly, um, it, you know, like the, like the words of, uh, well, virtuous, um, uh, that for me, the, the words that were confusing were actually because they were coming from, uh, uh, old religious, uh, old religious contexts. Yeah. Mm, 100%. And, uh. And I, I struggle with when, when religion comes into the conversation, uh, especially, uh, um, especially things from the King James era, mm -hmm. um, that because you're talking about a book, the Bible that was translated by, uh, by Kings that were trying to be oppressors. Um, and that's a, that's a scary area to be in because they were trying to mix politics and law into something beautiful. What, what I, I, I found the Bible to be, uh, of actually a book of freedom. Um, but their oppression made it mm. a, a slippery slope to go down. So when you start dropping King James words into the conversation, I always red flags just go up for me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go because I'm not going to let somebody come and put a verse in front of me in front of me without going back and looking at the 10 verses before that for context, only to find out that. I doesn't even fit this situation. I just discount it altogether. I have to go. I have to go and get alone and uh, and see what that word was really supposed to be about pray meditate on it and really come up and and let god show me what was really supposed to be happening or and and letting that conversation happen before i'm going to be quick to jump on a on on something in that kind of context so mm. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you said the word context, because I think it's just generally context, you know, for you and me to have a discussion anyway, for me being a mm -hmm. South African guy from Cape Town living in Germany and you being in America, which state are you living in? Uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. You know, Atlanta, Georgia. Yes. And I mean, the context is completely different. It's funny how you talk about the Bible being like that. And I totally agree. I think that a lot of times in life, the misunderstandings, and, and it happens a lot in social media these days, you know, you can say one thing and because it's text and there's no context, you're not sitting next to me and you can't look me in the eye and say, hey, Tom, like, what did you mean by that? It's kind of like reactionary and people just react on those things. And kind of like we mm -hmm. aren't willing to do our due diligence and go and kind of find out the context of the words. And it's interesting because words are powerful. And I think that unfortunately, people don't really understand that they can get controlled by their misunderstanding of a word. Or an understand. I yeah. think even you made a comment the other night when we were talking 
And I picked up on a certain um, <laughs> insinuation that I thought was saying, so I presumed something. Meanwhile, you perhaps were meaning something different. But because of our understanding of context or even just emotion, I think that as men, we've got to be careful about that. And we can move on to the marriage and fatherhood thing, seeing that we're going 15 minutes. It's getting quite cerebral here, which I love. No, I, but, <laughs> but, but, but you know what? I don't think we're going down a rabbit hole at all. I think these things are completely, they run completely parallel with our, with our, with our, our fatherhood and mm. our marriage and our, and our families and everything. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You can completely continue on. Mm. No, it just is like that because it's with our wives as well. I mean, I'm married to a German woman and I think just her being a woman and me being a man, our words mean different things to us as well. I think that that plays a huge part in our communication. I find often I will say something that to me means one thing and then I'm kind of bewildered why she doesn't understand. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it happens vice versa. I don't know if it happens with you and your wife, but I've got All like, I'm, I'm a Cape Town boy. <laughs> I was a surfer boy. I came to Germany. I've probably become a little bit more um, organized and, you know, appreciating precision a little bit more <laughs> yeah. but um you know she's a german woman and it's a totally different culture and the context and the language and she's then obviously a second language english speaker so it's the same thing you know and it's interesting that you say like the bible because we will we will go to a book and we'll look at it and i've got my books underlined and i'll like think on a verse but when you speak to me i probably will react on what you're saying immediately <laughs> instead mm -hmm. of going hang on bro i hear what you're saying i'm kind of thinking this and this what do you mean and i think sometimes that's important in our marriages, especially, and I'm too reactionary like that. And I think the stoicism thing has really been a key for me lately and just being able to take that breath and take that step back and do exactly what you've done with the Bible with my wife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, it, 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 I think that's one of the biggest things that's really, um, that's helped our marriage. Uh, my wife and I have been married, it'll be 20 years in, in this coming April. Um, and the thing that's, um, and look, it wasn't discovered uh, overnight by any means, uh, but the, but on ninety nine point nine percent of the time, that if there's if there's anything that's that's has any kind of frustration, it the thing that always clears it up um, for the most part is is going, hey, when you said this one thing, what did you mean? And giving somebody mm. a chance to elaborate on it, um, uh, because it. And only to find out that that wasn't even the issue. It, it was the thing is never the thing. It's always something three <laughs> times removed. Uh, you know, and it's a, it doesn't matter if you're from from Texas, Georgia, South Africa, uh, or, or or Bavaria. It, it's the it, people. It's human nature. It's it's always going to come down to a misunderstanding. Look, uh, it, it, it's it, the thing that fascinates me now is that here we are uh, that. You know, we, we go back to the conversation of the Bible for the for a minute and realize that that started wars. <laughs> you know, yeah. this book and the and and these situations caused wars, and um, over be, out of situations that were probably conversations out of context, and uh, and but here we are uh, having conversations at the speed of light. Yes, and yet people aren't quick enough to go, hey. Um, when you said that thing, what did you mean? You know, it, and you can see it on, like you said, on social media threads that it's like one guy throws something up and all of a sudden he's like completely offended and <laughs> chastising a guy's, uh, you know, family and everything is like, no, that's not even what I meant at all. What I meant was this. Yeah. It's like, so we just don't slow down fast enough to, to give, give the benefit of the doubt. Mm. Um, it, it's a, it, it's crazy like that. So yeah, it's no different. Um, Culturally, uh, um, you know, internationally, it's 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 
it's just a lack of context and a lack of communication and a, mm. and a perspective that a person has for the for the situation. Mm. No, I love that, man. I love what you said that the thing isn't ever the thing. And I totally yeah, agree with that. And I've kind of seen it and open just like hit that light bulb went on in my head. And I'm like, that's totally yeah. true. Because whenever we've had an argument, if you actually look at the root of it, it very seldom is the thing that actually got discussed first. And I'm, I've been guilty of that terribly of really responding to the thing. I mean, it's the same with our kids, right? It's like mm -hmm. the kids go off about something. And so we punish them or we get angry about the thing. But if we actually look deeper, the thing wasn't the thing at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll help you in the conversation here and just for, for the listeners and everything. So what got us started is the, the fact that I've got I've got a family that that got built on on the fact that I've got two boys that uh, that we adopted. We brought them both home from from uh, one, the oldest one at three weeks and the other one we brought him home from the hospital. The oldest wow. one, uh, we uh, he's biracial and um, and but I'm going to fast forward a story that was really, uh, really key to this topic that we're covering right here is that he came home from school and was having to fill out a form. Uh, the form wanted to know what race or nationality uh, they were. And it was for, for census um, scenarios. And, uh, and, it had, and they were asking, are you, um, uh, uh, I can't remember how it was, was it uh, black or white? No, they didn't say it that way. They said uh, Caucasian, um, uh, Latino, um, and, and just basically listed off like 12 possibilities for nationalities. Um, but Rhett, uh, is, uh, he's biracial, um, his birth mother. I mean, she's like white as white, um, Swedish blonde, you know, that complex complexion, uh, birth father, uh, was, uh, African-American and, um, and so now he's sitting in this duality. And, uh, and so the, this census is asking him, are you black or are you white? And he's is like, are, are you, are you American, uh, a Mexican? He's like, um, I'm, I'm American. I don't know why I have to pick this. Why do I have to pick what I am? And he goes, I'm American. I'm from Georgia. And, 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 and it gave me an opportunity. Um, I, I want to say he was um, five at the time. He might've been a little bit older, um, uh, but it gave us a chance to go, buddy, you can pick anything that you want on here, but I have to warn you, when you pick this, you have to answer for the, for your choice of picking it. And there's going to be some people that are going to possibly be offended by you not picking the choice that they wanted you to pick. And he goes, that's okay. I am what I am. Mm. And I was like, and, and, and I encouraged him to check the, check the box that he felt comfortable with checking, um, but let him know that he's going to have to answer for every choice that he picks. And, uh, and that made for, that's kind of set a good baseline for, you know, helping him to make his choices as he moves down the road. Um, mm. And, and just, you can pick whatever you want. You just have to be willing to pick, be willing to stand behind the choices that you pick. Yeah. Do you guys get uh, any like strange reactions still to you and your kids? All the time, all the time. And <laughs> because the, the, yeah, uh, Rhett's the oldest. Uh, and the youngest one is Riley. He's nine. Uh, so Red's 14 and, and Riley's nine. Um, and they do. I just noticed it this morning when we uh, went to the dental appointment uh, for Red because he has braces. And the, the, he went into the back with the, with, um, the, the technician. And, but, um, sh but she didn't see that he was with me. Uh, he just went back 
and then came back out. And you can see her looking around the room, going trying to pair the kid up with the parent. <laughs> she's she's looking for yeah. she's looking for the brown parent to go with this brown kid. And but and I just kind of like just purposely waited and made for this pregnant pause and conversation so I could see the tension go. I was like, and so I make, then I just go, how'd it go, buddy? And he goes, oh, it's good. And then she's like, you saw this sigh of relief going, I don't have to pick which parent it is and be wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we get it all the time. And I know it's mm. awkward uh, because we walk around trying to make, uh, everybody does, they're trying to make assumptions in mm. every case we've got a ton of, of weird things you know some people are still surprised when they find out that both of both of our kids are adopted and uh, and you even throw it out there and going even the white one yeah even the white one he's adopted too. <laughs> yeah. um it, it's, it's but uh but we're you know and we make light of it but at the same time we're very proud of the fact that that our that our boys are adopted and we've we've been able to uh, you know be able to not really um I want to say handpicked, but we, we, it hasn't been yeah. handpicked by any case. Uh, it, it's just, um, but the the situation has been handpicked. We made ourselves available to be parents, and those yeah. those uh, opportunities came along and got fulfilled for sure. I always think it's kind of interesting, you know, because sometimes you have adopted kids that grow up with a bit of a complex or a bit of a problem. And I've always thought, you know, yes, it's, 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 there's the one side where obviously your birth parent then wasn't able to look after you and, you know, you're given up for adoption. But, you know, I couldn't choose my kids now. I love my kids and, you know, but that's the way it is. And my parents had me and they couldn't choose me anyway. So it's kind of like they didn't have, you know, they didn't choose to love me. Whereas, you know, almost like an amazing thing or an incredible thing is when someone chooses to love somebody else. And it's almost like you guys, you know, you wanted children and, and it didn't happen. And then you were able to choose these boys. And I think if parents can communicate that to their children, that that's a very important thing. And I think in your case, it's kind of easier because it's kind of obvious. Um, a lot of, I knew kids at school, the parents didn't tell them that they were adopted until they were in my class at grade six as an adolescence. And that messed up this kid completely, you know. I think knowing mm -hmm. early and knowing that your parents picked you, do you, do you think that that's true? Am I, am I off mark here or? No, I think that's a great perspective of it. Um, I don't think we've necessarily tried to drive that point home um, with the boys, but I think, um, but I think it, I, I think it's a, there, there's, a, I don't know. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know if the, if, if, if our boys recognize it, um, mm -hmm. uh, it or not the, the fact that they were, they were, that we chose to do that that's a great question mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to ponder on that one yeah, <laughs> yeah i know yeah uh, i mean but i but i know but i but i do i, I do think you're onto something going that that it's it's been a, a helpful decider for us as to how we're going to parent of going this is what we signed up for um yeah. and and we we did make a conscious a conscious decision of going yep we're available use us mm. um, we tried for a long time um yeah um, of of wanting to have natural uh, and be natural parents yes um and natural birth but uh, it just wasn't in the cards for us but uh, uh and so and and going through an agency uh was really expensive too expensive for us to consider so we actually uh were taking taking advantage and taking advantage of of foster to adopt programs um mm -hmm. within the area um just to make ourselves available you know um, for any opportunity that was going to come along. Um, 
only but what we noticed though is that once we got involved in that arena it just people with the story would start to to happen the conversations would start to happen and and uh, and people would see that we were available to any situation we were there was no situation that we were gonna not consider um to to be parents and when that that came along that's but that's when the conversation came up we're going i know this girl in this situation she she needs some help uh and is looking for somebody to uh, to adopt her baby would you be open to it I'm like mm. yeah why don't absolutely and so we didn't uh, unfortunately we didn't have to go through the the bureaucratic system which actually turned to be very very draining um mm. for us and then but because we had gone through all the steps through that, there was a bunch of background checks and uh, home studies and everything that went on when it came, when the opportunity came up for us to adopt in this private situation, then the attorneys were able to go, well, you've already fulfilled all this other criteria based off the county's work. We can just use that over in this case. And it was pretty seamless from then on. Hmm. Awesome, man. So it's like it was almost like when we moved and and it, it, we saw some doors open and some doors closed. We just said, "Well, let's go climb through this window over here," and that's when when things started to happen. And it's just been successful all the way. Cool, man. Well, I just want to take a step back to before you guys yeah. decided to obviously have um, to adopt children and to take that yeah. step. Because naturally, the whole there's a whole process before that, or a whole you know, series of events that led up to you then eventually um, adopting. So I don't know if you want to just take us through that and, you know, wanting to have kids and that not working out and how that affects your marriage. And, and I think more importantly, how that made you have to step up as a man and a husband in the, those situations, because I can imagine it was pretty rough. It, um, it was confusing, to be honest. Uh, it, I don't, I don't know how it was to say it was something that made me step up. Cause I didn't know how to step up in that situation. <laughs> all I can, mm -hmm. all I knew how to do was just try and be compassionate and be somewhat understanding. Look, this all, of the, I didn't get married until, until I was turning 30. So I've already had, you know, 30 years prior to that, of just being solo, you know, uh, on my own. Uh, nomadic kind of life. Um, I, I, I mean, I, after high school, I, I went into the to the military. I was a combat engineer. Then that was basically six years of living out of a duffel bag. Um, a very no, nomadic. I deployed constantly at every opportunity. Um, it, it just roamer and a wanderer, uh, and, and I loved that lifestyle. Um, and uh, and went on and, and did various things com competitively in some sports and, uh, and worked in construction and just, it, it was me in a duffel bag and, and, and a truck and my dog, you know, that kind of lifestyle. Uh, and so the, and then when I, when I met my wife and then, uh, and, and we got married, um, it was just trying to figure out how to fit together. Um, but then she also had the the desire to be a mom at the same time. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, be honest. I don't think I was necessarily leading anything. I was just kind of, um, just kind of complimenting or trying to compliment the relationship there. Uh, it, it, leadership didn't really step into the situation that I would consider leadership today until until kids came along. Mm. Um, 
and and the responsibilities just it started st- stacking up, if you will, going something's got to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I became very very conscious of trying to lead as as a as a father and a husband. Yeah, I mean, I get the leadership perspective and. You know, it got me thinking about what stepping up really, really is as you're speaking. And, and some of stepping up is just being compassionate and being there and, and you know, like finding each other where you're at. You know, not, it's yeah. not always that it's not always that strong leadership that you and I have obviously been exposed to and that we aspire to sometimes in, in, in other ways. We do want to lead our families. We do want to preside. We do want to protect in these things. But yeah. I think that stepping up sometimes for me would actually to be uh, meek at times and a little bit more of a shoulder to cry on and someone that's listening. And someone that's a little bit more compassionate, like you said. So yeah. I suppose that's what I'm kind of getting at is just like being there for her. And I think that it obviously is hard for you when 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 you try for kids and then it doesn't happen. And and as I said, I can't and and that's the cool thing about this podcast is I talk to so many people that I I don't have any idea what it's like to walk in their shoes, you know. Yeah. I've had four kids, I had twins, I got divorced and and then I had kids again and I just had kids and it's then having to empathize and you know, it's uh, there's a lot there's a lot going on for us as dads and, and as men, and so many facets yeah. that I think it's so difficult to. I think I think if you really want to do it well, it is very intentional and very present, and then at the same time very instinctual. At the same that, time, that's the, that's the for for me, and I think you just said the key word for it, and it, and and it is that it's intentional. Anytime there's intentionality that comes along, I. I uh, I, I think if you're aware to it, I think there's always going to come uh, blessing is always going to come when there's intentionality involved. Uh, a, a, a fruitfulness is always going to come um, out of intentionality. Um, it, but I, but I can say that there was there wasn't any intentionality up until for me and yeah. in, in, in awareness up until the boys came along. Um, it, it was very um, accidental. Uh, except for the meeting and knowing that that my wife was the one that was was for me um everything else i felt like was just kind of like well we'll just see what happens when it happens there was never really anything intentional until the boys came along that's when i started to recognize that that i had an opportunity to lead the conversation um Mm. we she's like i want to be a i want to be a mom i don't know what that means uh, what what the, the the exact description looks like, but all I know is that I want to be a mother. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's make some pursuits, and that's when we started getting. That's when intentionality started to become apparent for me, uh, of understanding that we have an opportunity to to walk out some things uh, and actually take ownership and some leadership and things. Uh, it, it's been quite fascinating for sure. But if you stand back and you, and you don't put, if you if you hold on to things loosely, you know, uh, it, it hold them open with a wide fingered grip, going, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and grasp onto something, but I'm not gonna hold things so close and so tight that they can't breathe. You'd be surprised uh, of what can happen. So with my wife's perception, it was my wife's perception of of what she thought she wanted. She thought she wanted to, you know, be pregnant for nine months and, and, uh, and and then go through that whole process of leading up to it. And it wasn't even like that for us at all. It was Mm. actually very spontaneous to find out that we were going to be parents uh, to this boy, uh, not even a week of notice. And, uh, 
and to be walking into that situation and then inside of a week everybody comes around and and you've got a nursery a, a nursery room built out and cribs and and clothes and and provision on all fronts uh taken care of it's just like wow this is not normal and yet it's <laughs> the most natural beautiful thing in the world um, yeah. you know so that that was that was exciting we're and, and that was the first one the oldest one the second story was five years later with uh with a girl that that we were with her through pretty much her her entire birth process uh, I'm going to say, I think we got notice that she was about three months along, um, but, but still oh. a pretty good chunk of the time. And there in the, uh, we weren't in the delivery room, uh, but, um, but they're at the hospital um, uh, for the birth um, for the majority of it to, to have that happen. So two completely different wow. scenarios. <laughs> that one, it, we were able to lead right up to it, you know, and, had mm. showered uh, friends gave us uh baby showers and and all kinds of things like that um that was the closest thing to the natural timeline of things but mm. two different scenarios but they just played out naturally and organically as possible uh it was it was pretty fascinating to to stand back and see it that way too so it, i would say that it doesn't matter how it plays out uh in the timeline of things um mm. As long as you yourself, um, as a family, as a dad, and as a leader uh, of your family, uh, if you stand back and just um, be present for every situation, it plays out uh, just magnificent, magnificently. Hmm. So besides being present and intentional, what other things did, did change or what were the kind of changes that happened once you had your boys? And, you know, if you started to look at life quite differently, I, I assume, or I'm pretty certain of. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, wow, you know it, it, it's funny. Um, you, you, and the things that you jump right into. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you've got a you've got a whole timeline of habits of of being yeah. uh, single or or as a couple. Um, the things that that stop happening are the sporadic trips. You know, it was like, I don't know, just the, uh, there was one time I, uh, some friends of ours called up and said, Hey, I got these concert tickets. Well, I think we, we barely had Rhett, uh, a week, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and, and they go, Hey, I got these concert tickets. Um, do you want to go? And, and it, it was, it hadn't even crossed my mind. I was, um, you know, uh, I'm talking to my wife and, and. I didn't think about it going, Oh wait, we've got this baby at home. She's like, I got it handled. You go ahead and go have a good time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was totally cool, but it, but it was just like those habits and those things that you're used to yeah. it's like, Oh, now you've got more people to think about. Yeah, and it was completely. kind of a little bit of an eye opener and it worked out. It wasn't, I wasn't completely neglectful or anything like that, but mm -hmm. it was, it's those kind of things that your, your, your old habits and your old patterns, it, you know, it's just, it, they affect more people. It's like, oh, okay, I got this. I got this now. Um, mm. It's like, can't, I, I, it's a good idea to call and check in and just make sure everybody's taken care of, mm. uh, no matter how good the concert seats are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I went to go watch U2 shortly after my tw twins came home. I don't know if you know, my twins were 10 weeks early. 
I'm in the hospital oh. for five weeks. And then shortly after they came out, I went to go watch U2 on that one huge, massive tour that, that just got eclipsed by Ed Sheeran's tour. So it's quite interesting you should say that. But it's kind of interesting. I didn't have a choice. Like having twins, it's literally like bam. And they came like, like I said, two and a half months early, unexpected. And I was just thrown into this like dad world from being like yeah. a surfer boy. And um, I suppose I did step step up quite a bit in that. But a lot of my frustrations and stuff came out, you know. I mean, you're tired. And, and that's the interesting thing is that I think a lot of guys seem lost at sea. And I, I see a lot of guys that kind of seem clueless. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised. And maybe it's because I just, you know, with one, you, you your wife kind of looks after and you kind of feel that you can be like that. I kind of felt like I couldn't be clueless. Like I had to just make it happen and I just had to step up and, mm -hmm. and be there. And, and it was insane, man. I was like two hours sleep going to work, you know, little kids on my chest, like every night bottle feeding because they didn't breastfeed because they were so small and it was insane. And then it kind of stepped me or set me up for the rest of my kids. But it's, but it's, a, it's something that I would advise um, guys who haven't had kids to really almost use stoic philosophy or stoic practices and techniques to negatively visualize their life in the future so that they're not so surprised at how tired they are and how much it is like that and how much you've really got to lay yourself to the side and, and kind of step up. Because I remember the frustrations and sometimes the anger and the pressure that I put onto my relationship, which ended in divorce, actually, not much later, mm -hmm. um, just from the stress that maybe I didn't take it on my kids because I was a great dad. And that's at the dad syndicate. I always talk about that. It's, it's much better to focus on being a good man first and the man that you should be and the man that you could be. And um, I developed that now, like while I'm, ha I mean, I haven't developed it, Reese. What am I saying? I'm busy <laughs> developing. And I, th I think you've been witness to some of the processes and the, some of the thoughts and I'm not there yet, but I think it would have been a little bit more beneficial to my relationship and my kids if I would prep before. And I don't know how much prep you did before you got your kids. I know it was quite sudden, but did you do any preparation for that? Did you kind of think, well, I'm, we're going to adopt a kid or when you were planning to have biological kids, did you do any prep for that or was it just kind of like, well, oh, we're going to have kids? No, none at all. <laughs> no, no, none. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it, I think we, we made some room, um, physically in the house uh, <laughs> yeah. for the conversation, but, but really I just had no idea of, it was like, there was certain things that kind of, because because uh, she wasn't becoming pregnant, so that yeah. that always kind of put things on the back burner in my mind. I felt like I was, uh, I had more time. Uh, yeah. Little did I know that that that, that wasn't true. But um, mm -hmm. but that's kind of probably what what was going through my mind at the, for the most part of it. Um, but uh, it, you know what? There's no situation that that you can't you can't prepare enough mm -hmm. um and so so getting over that's one of one of the things that i learned from both boys is that you can't prepare enough uh, for it but at the same time uh thinking that you're going to be completely compared as prepared as night na naive too you, you mm -hmm. know at, at the end of the day look kids can take a take a bounce uh that sounds harsh but no nah, but you're right they, they they can take they're resilient uh they're resilient creatures and uh you know unless you're intentionally trying to hurt them you're more yeah. than likely not going to hurt them they're going to take a bounce they're they're going to recover um and uh, and there's and every dad that i've talked to they always have that that story of like you know the the kid was sitting on the couch and then next thing you know they've, they've fallen off the couch and they no comment no comment yeah no and, and <laughs> that's what a friend a friend of mine told me i have i, I have no proof to the story <laughs> but, 
but yeah, it, it, everybody's got those stories, and it's like yeah. when when somebody gets free enough to go, well, actually, there was this one time, and then all of a sudden the stories come out of the woodwork, and you come to find out, like people, you know, kids can take. You don't have to. You don't have to cushion everything around the house in your entire life. It, 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 they're natural. They, they respond to their environment. So, you know, help them with their environment. But they, they're going to grow and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to take a balance. And, uh, and, and so, uh, it, we can, we can help them just kind of keep pinballing and ping-ponging off the walls until they start to figure out how to walk on their own. And that's really kind of what we're setting them up for. Um, and, and so it, it, you can't, you can't over-prepare, but at the same time, you can't prepare enough. And so that's where the stoicism conversation comes into is like, help them to see a bigger picture and you'd be doing them way mm. more justice. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to what I said is that just that working on yourself as a man, I think just sets you up to to do things as well as you can. I think that there's no perfect technique and no perfect way of parenting. And in fact, no. as a teacher, there's this over-parenting that's happening at the moment where it's just like, let's read every single book on parenting and let me follow the new latest fad and the latest research instead of actually, you know, working on yourself first and making sure that you aren't attached. And I loved what you said about that attachment because it's been a little word that's been uh, running around in my head lately and it's probably going to be the topic of my um, podcast on Friday, which is this attachment. And I, I like how you said is that you hold on to it, but you're not gripping onto this thing. And I think that a lot of our dissatisfaction and frustrations comes on from really holding onto things too tightly. And I think that you, me, both been reading stoicism stuff. That's what I love about it is just that letting go, loving what it is at the moment, enjoying it, but but not holding onto it so tightly that you leave yourself wide open for your tranquility and calm and these things to be disturbed. And then I think not being able to parent correctly because when I'm so involved in the situations, like I can't see the wood for the trees. I'm just like my whole mind is on this child and making this work that I'm not able to step back and go, what is objectively good in the situation? And I've seen many a parent as a teacher trying to protect their child and inadvertently harming their child psychologically by actually protecting it. So there's a lot of irony in that. And I think you're completely right is that you, you can't prepare enough and you can't prepare enough. But I think that it's one of those, you know, thrown into the water and, and see if you can swim. And I think that most of us generally end up being able to swim. I mean, there are those sad cases and the reason why the dad syndicate and order of man and all these other things exist is for guys that really need a little bit of a lifeboat and a little bit of a trainer to help them to swim. And so how much of other guys played a part in you stepping up as a dad and kind of learning the ropes and improving yourself as a person and becoming a little bit more intentional and present in your fathering? Uh, quite a bit. Um, it, you know, just, it, just surrounding yourself with other, other people and other guys so you can hear those conversations uh, you know, just men in general tend to, uh, to, you know, disconnect and go into isolation and hibernation, which is really the worst thing that could ever happen uh, because they don't get to hear the stories of, of other guys and their shortcomings and realize that they don't have it all together either. Mm. Uh, once I started getting myself around other guys and hearing those other stories and realizing that I wasn't alone, that started to give me some confidence going, okay, I can do this. Uh, just the same learning their tips and, and things that mm. they were doing. Uh, and also giving me some, giving me some, uh, uh, giving me some credit for, for some stability, st uh, stability that I already had, uh, you know, the mentioning that you, you one of the words, uh, things that I learned uh, early on uh, when I was kind of surfing through and I can't find the woman's name, 
that uh, that was blogging about it and and kind of in different media posts and things, but brought up the term helicopter parenting and okay. um, or, or hovering and trying to overprotect on these things. Uh, it gave me a, a sense of confidence that like, okay, I understand where she's coming from because she's talking about it from a practical sense. And, and one of the stories that was, was shared, she lived in New York at the time and and she bought her uh, son. I think her son was probably ten years old at the time, and um, and just gave him a challenge to go and get on the train system and go um, ten stops away and make a transfer to another train to to make an errand and come back on his own. And mm-hmm. on. I don't know what it's like on the European on the European side of things for you today, um, but I grew up in Europe, uh, and oh, really? and yeah, my dad was in the service, and uh, and so my formidable years from uh, from nine to sixteen uh, were were in Italy. Oh. We grew up in northern Italy, and things were very. Um, it, I can't think of the word for it. Not independent, but you were. Uh, um, your self, uh, um, uh, self-efficient. There you go. Uh, yeah, you were self. My wife's over here uh, help yeah, coaching yeah, me. I, I heard that. Uh, you, you were self. You were self-efficient. Um, and and I under and I grew up learning that. That's um, ironic. That was, the, that was the culture there. Only to come back to uh, yeah, she's she's a definite balance for me. Uh, only to come back to the states to where that's not the common culture. And when she started blogging blogging this story, and I mean, she got lambasted, man. I was like, it, like, how can you send yourself? Do you know the kind of people that are out there? It's like, yeah, the world's not that bad of a place. I'd rather teach my kid how to be uh, be self efficient and be able to take care of himself and get himself out of danger and be able to know how to get on a train at 10 years old and go to a destination and know, and I know when to expect him back before I have to go mm-hmm. freaking out about it. I agreed with that, but yet a lot of the circles that I was in personally, they didn't necessarily agree with it. And I was like, man, I don't think I'm wrong, but I don't know how to have a voice in this conversation. So I had mm-hmm. to go and surround myself with other people going, yeah, I, I hear you. And here's how I did that and taught my kid how to do this. So I've, I've actually wanted to, to be that, that teacher to my boys of going, Hey, let's go through some exercises and teach you how to, to fend for yourself and, and, and pr- learn how to be, uh, to be that provider for yourself and learn how to protect yourself in these situations and, uh, and, and learn to lead yourself instead of having things handed to yeah. you. Um, yeah. And so, so to your question of, of being around other people, um, I, I've had to be intentional about getting into other groups and other circles of pe- where people are having those conversations of mm. how to be a, how to be a father and how to be a, how to be a husband. And hearing those stories, because otherwise you're you're the only influence that you have is the the crap that's getting fed to you on a news feed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I talked to you yesterday about a Facebook post which I made, which I was, "What is the one book that's helped you to step up as a dad, as a man?" And some guys like, "I don't read books. I don't need a book. I was born this way." I was just kind of like, "Hmm." The fact that you're answering, oh, you said it to me as well. The fact that you're answering that question like that just proves that you might need to go and read something. 
Um, and, and I mean, because <laughs> yeah. because books for me are, are like other guys, and I think that nothing replaces like a guy, as we've said. You know, words come out of context or in context, and when you talk to someone, you can really kind of play it back and forth. And I've definitely felt the exact same way as you. It was quite it was quite eye opening to find when I was speaking in a group of guys that were just laying their hearts bare to really realize where you are at life. Sometimes you feel you're not measuring up. Sometimes you feel you're not good enough. And then you get around other guys that are successful in your eyes, and they're opening up about stuff, and you're like, wow, okay, we're all like this. We're all a little mm -hmm. bit wounded. We all have the little wound from our dads or our moms or whatever's happened in life. And you go like, okay, this is where I'm at. But you know what? I can move forward. I can move past this. I think the lady that you're talking about is Carol Dweck. Am I right? Um, could be. The, let me, let me the growth mindset Carol. lady, the, the resilience lady um, who's always on about that. She's a professor at Stanford, I think, university. And um, she talks exactly what you're talking about. And I'm 100% behind that. I, I really am as a teacher – and as a father, that's my thing is, is helping kids develop independence and self-sufficiency, as you talk about, is that they're able to do things on their own. And it's, it's quite interesting. I'm at a private school and I'll try to keep this short because I'm trying to get better at interviewing people and getting them to talk more and me talking less. <laughs> it's starting to happen. But uh, I think it's quite nice because I can add the teacher perspective and, and the parent perspective. But at our school, it's like we have teacher aids, we have learning support, and we are basically over-helping kids. And then we yeah. wonder why they're going to the high school and why they are not independent because they receive so much help and so much assistance from us in the primary school. Our school goes to grade five that the product that they're producing is not a reflection of their knowledge or their skills, but of partly their knowledge and their skills and then partly of the people assisting them. And we don't let them fall flat in their face. And I think that letting kids fall flat and letting kids wipe out, so to speak, and my kids mountain bike with me, and sometimes I let my son wipe out, and it's a little bit scary sometimes, yes. But, you know, he learns so much more from that wipeout than me trying to stop him moving. I mean, he wouldn't be able to ride, basically, right? He wouldn't be able right. to go down because I would have to stop him at everything. And, yes, when he was small, I used to hold on and catch him. I mean, I stood in front of trees for this kid. I basically tackled my daughter off a mountain bike the other day because she was heading for a tree, literally. I jumped off my bike and just tackled her off. So I have to do that at times when it's dangerous. But when it's not dangerous, and it's, it's quite scary for me to think about the future of certain kids, you know, and I think you and I, you know, we both know Ryan, he always says, my sons, you know, treat your sons like you want, because my sons are going to be kings, they're going to rule the world, you know, because you look at the mm -hmm. other parents, and they're basically protecting their kids, and the boys in schools, especially are falling straight through because of this, because number one, there's no competition, and whether you agree with it or not, I think a lot of boys love competition, when you remove that out, and everybody's a winner, and it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get commended for something, it, there's yeah. no motivation. There's no competition. They don't see the numbers. I was a total, you probably know that. You can probably recognize from me. I was a total numbers kid at school. Like I wanted to be number one. That's how it was. And I worked my butt off and got there. And then I cruised through school. These days, boys don't have that. They don't have people being hard on them anymore. They're not letting people fail. They're not letting them fight on the playground. Now, I'm not, now, disclaimer, I'm not saying let's let kids just rip each other to pieces. But at the same time, like, let's not like stop natural, you know, hierarchical kind of behavior in these things. And I suppose I'm quite an anomaly because I've got quite a lot of different views that you would say one moment you'd say I'm a liberal, the next moment you'd say I'm a conservative. But I'm kind of across right. the board kind of person just thinking what's best for my kids. And I don't have the answers. And that's why I love talking to guys like you and, and just thinking for myself and looking at my kids and going, hmm, where's that line? Because we do have to help our kids, obviously, and you know it as well. But the resilience thing is really important and just being able to let our kids feel that pain sometimes of suffering because I don't want my kids to go into adulthood and like I wasn't prepared for the suffering or the struggle of a marriage that wasn't going well and to overcome that and you know what I didn't I didn't sort it out you know I let my I let it go to pieces myself and that's what happened and then I went through whole court cases and things and had to suffer in those those instances instead of learning that as a young boy 
I think that we can save our kids from far worse circumstances than a bad grade or a teacher shouting at them. And, you know, my kids are totally happy at school because I just don't, I'm not going to listen to, you know, my kids complaining about their teaching stuff. And they never, and, and you know what, they don't. I don't know if your kids are like that as well, but my kids come home happy from school, never complain about their teachers. Now watch other kids, you know, parents come in and complaining about the teachers and you know, fighting for their kids, ruining the relationship between the teacher and the child or setting their kids up to not actually succeed. We've um, uh, we've got a, a five year gap between the boys, and so um, so Rhett at fourteen is is at that teenage range to where he's completely annoyed with everything. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'm still getting there. Maybe <laughs> so I'm still trying figuring how to navigate that. Meanwhile, the younger one uh, at nine, um, he's just he's he's just so social and. And has zero concern for what his education is going to do for him. He's just like, I'm just here for the good time, and uh, <laughs> and so it, we've got a teacher. His teacher is just like, if I can keep him engaged and and doing the work, he's going to thrive. But we just can't seem to figure out how to get him engaged in the work. So uh, we've got two definitely two different dynamics. Um, mm. But that idea of competition, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's completely uh, lost. Um, and, and I'm, I'm trying to flip that script. I know for my boys, and that's one of the things that I've, I've really come to love and, uh, not come to love. I loved it right from the very beginning. Um, <laughs> uh, but I've, I've come to the numbers. love and, and, and CrossFit, um, uh, because the idea in, in, in CrossFit is that you're up against a clock or you're up against a scoreboard and the leaderboard. Yeah. And it's been a great, uh, it's been a great resource for my boys. Um, and because um, we're getting them introduced to that world too. So there's physicality and there's also competition along with it too. Yeah. And, and the only thing that, you know, I can go and show them and they're getting used to the leaderboard now. So I can come home and, and the youngest one, especially he's like, Hey, Hey daddy, how'd you do on the leaderboard today? And, uh, and I could show him, I was like, Hey man, I was at the top of the board today. Or I was like, no, not today. I was dead last. And, uh, and, as that the only thing that counts is that if you left you left it all out on the floor, you know, is there a big ball of sweat and you did everything you knew how to do, and then however it landed on the leaderboard, is is okay, uh, but the the first and foremost requirement is that you left it on the floor in order to mm. get on, the, on that leaderboard. Um, so uh, I've loved having the leaderboard as a tool to be able to show them going, hey, I showed up, and here's where I stacked up. And, and, uh, and that's all that mattered. Um, but you have to show up and you have to get yourself on the leaderboard. Hmm. Uh, and now whatever happens, happens, uh, after that. But, but the, but the, the leaderboard is, is a tool and, uh, and it just shows that you showed up. Um, yeah. so it, uh, the idea of competition, we, we definitely welcome it. Um, not to the, I, I don't, I don't think I'm over the top on it by any means. I've seen some horror stories of, of yeah. dads that tried to, you know, live vicariously through their kid because they sucked as a competitor themselves. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's yep. definitely not that at all. I'm just yeah. like, man, just show up and put yourself out there. Yeah. And, and I'm watching uh, Riley's getting into the sport. So he's not become the encourager yet, but I'm watching Rhett who is Rhett's a year in, um, maybe a little more and, and I'm watching him become 
the encourager and the leader to the other kids as well. Uh, uh, and and just uh, just learning to lead himself, and that him leading himself is leading others, and 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 it's coming as a result of getting the chance to 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 compare scores. Yeah, and, and it's and it's a good thing. So I don't I don't discourage it at all. I love I love the the competition aspect of it. And if I can find any place for them where they come in and say, Hey, I think I want to do this and I want to compete. I'm going to, I'm going to jump behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get the feeling that a lot of kind of things of the past have been villainized and it's because that in the past people didn't do it with a lot of finesse or weren't adept at communicating these things to children or to people and that people lost self-worth or felt that they had to measure up. Otherwise they're worthless. And I think that, it all comes with communication. Well, they had, they as had bad intentions, you know. As I, that, that back to that other word that we we brought up, their intentionality was completely flawed. If yeah. they were trying to live through them, if they were trying to live vicariously through their kids because they had their own failed um, yeah. um, competition history, then that that's bad, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but if but if if they were authentic and going really wanting to see this kid grow mm. for themselves, I don't see how it can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, if if their if their if their motives are pure. I think it comes back to the attachment thing again, is attaching yourself to your child. You know, I think that we are obviously connected and they are children, but when you start attaching your own self worth to your child, then you start um judging them as you judge yourself. And often we judge ourselves seriously harshly. No one really sees it often, but you know, we judge ourselves harshly and then we start judging them as though we are defending ourselves and as though it's us on the field, just as you said, like the vicariously. And I, I just got this vision from this movie that I watched long ago. I don't know if you ever watched it called Varsity Blues, where the guy from yeah, Dawson's yeah. Creek, James Van Der Beek, and his dad is like pushing him to be the starting quarterback. But Paul Walker, um, he's the starting quarterback and he says, throw the ball, son, throw the ball. And um, and then his name is Mox. Uh, James Van Der Beek just throws the ball and smashes and like drives it right into his dad's nose. You know, and yeah. basically shows that thing of like, and his dad realizes, oh, he actually threw me in the face on purpose. And that was quite a interesting thing to see. And I think it happens a lot in America, especially with the um, the football culture and those kind of things where a lot of dads Absolutely. played football. And that was like the greatest thing that they ever did. And they're like, oh, the good old days. Remember when you did this? And they live in the same town and then their boys yeah, get into the same football school, team. <laughs> yeah. That was 10, 20, 30 years ago now. Yeah, well, that story is the one that gets played over because it was the same storyline in Friday Night Lights. Yeah, you know, exactly. The, the, it's, yeah, it, it's no different. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with them both. And and, mm. and that that's, it, I'm aware of that and in making sure that I, that I don't go down that road for sure. Mm, it's uh, tough sometimes, uh, man. Yeah. So I, I, I compete for myself and I have my own place in it. And I just hope that I'm inspiring the boys to do that for themselves. And I think they're grasping onto it. Okay. That's uh, cool, man. I'm, I'm not forcing them into, uh, yeah. into a, a sport or, or an area that, that I want them to be in. And they're, they're raising mm. their hand going, Hey, I want to try this out or I want to try that out. I don't really care. I just want them to try something. Well, it's also keeping in perspective these sportsmen and stuff and when you have your heyday, you know. I don't want my kids mm. to have their heyday. And I didn't, I'm glad I didn't have my best days left in high school. I mean, I played on teams and I was okay and those kind of things. But those were definitely not my better days. And I think it's encouraging to tell our children, you know, when they're going through those hard times at school, as your sons might do and, and might, might happen now. And sometimes my son and daughter go through hard times. But to let them know that school isn't the be-all and end-all and achieving things there is not going to be the the end or the beginning of their of their life you know that 
that a lot mm. of people that played in school and that were the quarterback are now living in the heyday. You know, a 41-year-old like us reliving those days because they were the best days they ever had. And I don't mm. think I'd like to leave it on the floor all there and then, then be able to not even step up now. And I think for us kids, it's cool to say, you know what, your best days might still become. Don't worry if you're not the most popular kid. Don't worry if you're not the starting quarterback or, you know, the point guard in the basketball team or, or what have you. You know, I think it's right. it's encouraging. And I think that that's why when kids can struggle a little bit in school, it's a very safe place to struggle. And that's why I want to let my kids struggle there. So they struggle yeah. there. They find that the way... You know, the, what stands in the way, as we say, becomes the way. I've seen it in my life so many times. Uh, even the dad syndic is a pro, pro, uh, like a product of things that were in my way and how it's starting to develop. And and even I, you know, I got into podcasting and threw myself into this, didn't know Jack, and just did it, you know. And yeah. yes, it's not going to be it's not going to be pretty in the beginning, and it's definitely not going to be a well-oiled machine. But I'm excited because even at 41, I can learn, I can grow, and I think it's for our kids. I'm so excited for my kids to show them that and to teach them that to show them you never stop learning, and you never stop growing. And the exciting thing is that even though it's may, maybe not perfect now, you're going to get there, and just to have confidence on that. So Reese, we've been speaking for ages, and we could probably speak forever. Um, there's yeah, a few sure. calls that I've been on where it just never seems to end. But I want to end it off with that little little thing that I got on Facebook where I asked guys, what is the one book? Because I just um, received three books in, I'm a bit on a book fetish at the moment, three books from Amazon as I ordered. And one is As the Man Thinketh. One is The Endurance with Shackleton's Incredible Voyage, um, which is pretty cool. And then I got The War of Art, which you've probably heard about from Stephen Pressfield. So what are the books that have made, if you had to think of three books that have made a major impact as you as a father, um, what springs to mind? Uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was pretty revolutionary uh, for yeah. me and my journey of things. Um, growing some confidence in that, and then with that confidence, going back and just using the Bible and yeah, uh, yeah. and reading the Bible for myself. Um, and the third the third one, um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to take an out and I'm going to go. I hope it's my next one uh because i'm i'm stuck right there on those two but the the third one i'm constantly um uh, looking for that next book okay uh i, I think um I, I, you know I'll, I'll i'll jump in though and and throw the third one in there sovereignty was uh was a game changer for me just the same yeah i suppose that sovereignty and owner, extreme ownership kind of have the same kind of not not the same stories but kind of the same focus and what I love about those two books is that the title themselves, when you say the title, you just have to say the title to yourself and already it instills or awakens something in you. When I say extreme ownership, I know exactly what I need to do. I know that it's right. not me making excuses, not me blaming anybody else. It's me taking extreme ownership in every situation. And sovereignty is the same thing. It's like you're sovereign. You're in they're, control. They're, um, you yeah, they're, they're very similar, but um, sovereignty gave me the framework to, uh, to begin to understand some things for me. Um, uh, uh, one recognizing that I'm, I'm actually a very uh, framework oriented individual. Yeah. And um, if I can not necessarily compartmentalize things, but if I can put things in some order and some systematic uh, processes, uh, I, I tend to thrive a lot better. And, uh, and sovereignty showed me how to do that. Um, so, mm um extreme ownership um gave me some permission and some things um but the bible showed me that i wasn't crazy uh, <laughs> that i could have a view and then uh, sovereignty gave me the framework uh, to mm. start to put all the pieces together 
Yeah. For those that don't know, I'm sure most people know Extreme Ownership is by Jocko Willink. I would go and get that one. Definitely a winner. And then um, Sovereignty by Ryan Mickler, who is the founder and the host of the Order of Man podcast and Order of Man at Large and also runs a uh, exclusive brotherhood called the iron council that Reese and I are part of, which has really yeah. been quite revolutionary for me. And it's definitely helped me to step up as a man and as a father for sure. So go check those two out. And then yeah, for those Christians out there and non-Christians, check out the Bible Reese. I mean, even though I'm not a Christian anymore, I think the Bible, as I've spoken to on my podcast before, no, what a roadmap. You're a man you of principle and, and any yeah, man of principle exactly. can, can get exactly. his head around it and begin to understand yeah. that there was, there were men mm. that shaped the world. And, exactly. uh, you know, I've always felt that it, and I'm only coming to it and beginning to understand it, that uh, it all began um, at Genesis chapter three, where God said that if you were uh, working and producing, um, yeah. uh, working and producing fruitfully, that you could get access right back to understanding the world that, that he was he was designing for mm. himself and I like it. Uh, and that's that's been pretty revolutionary for me of late so uh, yeah yeah i love it man i love it it's been great cool. talking to you fantastic i think we've gone over our 45 minute slot that we booked but that's not a surprise but thanks a lot <laughs> reese man it's been great let's do it again man um, absolutely i'd love to and uh, thanks for the opportunity i'm honored yeah so thank you everyone for listening i hope that you got something out that don't be close-minded to anything that you can use to become a better man and a better father and as reese says if you're a man of principle then you will find it wherever you can whether it be the bible or books by jocko willink or even just listening to a podcast with a little old me here from bavaria so yeah if you can be so kind leave us a rating on apple Apple Podcasts, uh, write us a little review there. Check us out on Facebook in our closed group, the Dad Syndicate Arena. Really appreciate there. We've got a small group of just about 70 or more guys. So we'd be lucky to have some more of you on there, having some discussions. Really high quality and caliber of men there. Uh, really awesome. And so check us out there and on our website, thedadsyndicate.com. And remember that all the time, energy and hard work that you put into being the man that your family need and deserve is always going to be worth it. So be relentless. Thank you.